Hi, I'm Jonathan Mann. And I'm Matt Condon. And this is Digitally Rare, a show about digitally owned things now and in the future. Digitally Rare. Digitally Rare. So we're here with uh, we're here with Joe Looney. Matt, I know that you don't really know anything about why I, I wanted you don't know much about anyway why I wanted to have Joe on. Yeah, I'm, I'm vaguely familiar. So so for those that don't know, Joe, can you just give us a, a really quick rundown of, of what you have to do with... Yeah, I guess the uh, the most well-known thing that people would know is, is Rare Pepe's. So I'm the I'm the creator of uh, Rare Pepe Wallet. Here's where I wanted to start. You, you, um, you've been recently especially very critical and raising a lot of questions about... Um, about a lot of projects on Ethereum and how decentralized or not they are. And to give, I want to give Matt this context. Joe, I hope this is okay. I screen capped some of your tweets. Oh boy. And I, I'm going to read them. I'm going to read Joe Lumi's tweets. You ready, Joe? Maybe you can read all my tweets and we can start <laughs> right. a series about that. <laughs> I'm just going to do a podcast that's, that's just reading Joe Looney's tweets from, from the beginning of time. Okay, these are my, these, these are my gotcha tweets of, of Joe Looney. No, I, okay. but really, because of what really what happens, I see these tweets go by and Joe, I really respect you and everything that you've done. And, and I really, I really value this perspective that you're bringing. So I'm really interested for this conversation. So here's some of the tweets. Today I learned all CryptoKitties transfers can be quote paused and quote by a single private key, the quote unquote CEO and if that key is compromised, they can be frozen forever. Ellipsis decentralized. Next tweet. The only efficiency Ethereum projects with upgradable, quote unquote, up- upgradable contracts gained by using, quote unquote, blockchain instead of a central server is the offloading of some server costs onto their users. Hashtag freeloaders. I like that. Um, and, and then we have every single Ethereum project that has a pause functionality in their contract is being disingenuous when selling itself as decentralized. Being able to pause a contract with a single private key is, in all caps, centralization. In addition to seeing these, then over in Telegram, in the uh, Art Project Decentralized chat, which is the chat um, formed by um, Jessica Angel for her project, um, there was a big discussion happening in there, and I was really interested in what was happening. So, 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 Joe, can you just expand on that a bit? I was more just surprised than anything else. I mean, I I never really uh, dove into the the content of the different Ethereum contracts for like rare digital art assets and tokens. Um, and it was like the as soon as I, I of course I picked CryptoKitties. I go, of course. Well, here, here's one I should look at, and right. I'm, I'm reading through it, and I'm like, I'm just just surprised that they would have structured it in a way that basically just gives them full control over changing um, aspects of the, the contract and, and pausing transfers and stuff like that. So it wasn't something I sat on and was like, oh, I'm going to spring this at the right time. I was like, I was literally, I was just reading through the contract on Etherscan. And I was like, oh my God, I was like, this right. is ridiculous. So that's when I threw that first one out there. I, I, I guess I wasn't th- that surprised because I, I and I got to say, I mean, I am biased because I don't really like 
have a lot of love for Ethereum in general, um, yeah. the project. I, so I definitely want to get to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I, obviously, it's coming from a from a, a place of a little bit of bias, but I, I don't feel like anything I said was was false. So no, I, w- I would say you're you're totally right. Um, although offloading cost onto users could could be argued away, but um, yeah, no, absolutely, like. Throwing a uh, you know a centralized uh, access control is, is just that centralized. I guess the thing that surprised me more than anything is is that these pro- a lot of these projects like CryptoKitties um, they market themselves as decentralized and as you, a you you yeah. own this kitty and nothing mm-hmm. we do can prevent you from owning it. Where that's that's patently false. I mean, they right. could do something that can prevent right. you from at least moving it, and then they could upgrade the contract to essentially mm-hmm. take it from you. And the license as well isn't really perfect. As we talked about last time. Yeah, and I'm not as I'm not as concerned about the the licensing and stuff. I kind of have a different perspective when it comes to like what these these things are. Um and and I don't really think the art matters as much as the the token itself. Oh, interesting. Do you want to do you want to unpack that? Cuz the the prevailing theme seems to be that the token is just some bits and the image is what you own in a sense. Um, well, realistically all you actually own are the bits, but from a user's perspective that's what you're owning is this experience, this image, this content of some sort. Yeah, no, I I I kind of see it as the the opposite. Oh, interesting. Okay, because literally the 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 literally the thing you own is the token. Like if if we were to obfuscate out all the UI and everything else, I mean the thing that you have a key that controls is the token. That's kind of always been my feeling, uh, even with the rare Pepe stuff. That was I was on a, I guess a YouTube conversation <laughs> last night about IPFS, and which was great. I would just, if we can just plug that really quick, uh, another podcast. Art on the blockchain had a wonderful battle royale about the uh, benefits and drawbacks of IPFS. It was a really good listen. I highly, I'll put it in the show notes for the show. I highly recommend listening to it. Anyway, go ahead. My feeling on a lot of that stuff is it's it's just a kind of a sh- charade. I mean, sure, it's interesting technology and and IPFS. Like, I don't I don't want to take anything away from IPFS as a kind of innovative way to to use BitTorrent and Git together to kind of create like um, updatable torrents. But the way it's marketed is that it's it's like a decentralize all the things kind of kind of marketing. Um, whereas it's not really a problem because no one's trying to censor these images. So there, there's really no reason why you can't just serve it up on HTTP. I mean, there, there's no, it, it's not a problem. So- And that's actually- what most people end up doing with IPFS is hosting, uh, because obviously there's no incentive layer yet, there's no Filecoin, and so um, any decentralization actually is just you running servers that are guaranteed to pin the files that you care about, um, and then people will serve it over HTTP, HTTPS, uh, because that's how computers work these days. Yeah. So that exactly. So the end of the day. Yeah. So the end of the day, that's what you're doing anyway. I want to. I want to go to this to this question of of the token versus the art. You. I've seen you say several times, Joe, in different chats, um, that the token is the medium, like the canvas. Am I getting that right? Yep. And the art as the sort of paint that you put on the canvas. Is that basically? Sure. I, and I think. I mean, that's obviously. Is it's just a like a, an analogy, right? Right. Sure. Um, so there's, there's areas where that breaks down. And, and I think 
it's it's less the paint on the canvas and and more like what the what the canvas looks like right sort of how the canvas is formed i like i make the i uh the comparison when people say like it's it's the art you own and not the token you own and i go well well what does what does what does bitcoin look like right right and so well it's that orange b <laughs> right 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 it's like yeah and that's that's bitcoin right, right? and so like what does my rare pepe look like well it's this little trading card looking thing it's not an orange b it's it's this trading card that's that you can view on the site so that that's really how i i see these things it's it's more of a the the thing you're collecting and the thing you're buying and selling and trading is the token um and the the picture on the screen is that all that is is it that's what the token looks like interesting okay so i have i have an opinion on on that as well i think i feel like um the desire to own something uh, obviously has to be there before you, you know, pay money for it. In Bitcoin and other sort of currencies, the desire to own it is based primarily on the fact that someone else also wants it so that you can use it as a medium of exchange or a store of value. And in that case, it doesn't really matter what it looks like. Um, and obviously, we've kind of tested that with the wide variety of currencies, physical currencies available. It's mostly just that someone else accepts it. But with things that are based around content, I get no joy out of the bits uh, that make up the token. And the only reason I'm, I'm enjoying this thing, the reason I want it, is because um, of the image. And the only reason someone else would want it is because of the image or the properties or the utility that it gives them, like to be able to use it in a game or something like that. I think in the case of Bitcoin, that's definitely accurate and what Bitcoin actually looks like doesn't really matter. But for things that are highly content or experience based, it feels like it's a core part of the sort of uh, selling point of owning a, the, the thing at all. Yeah. And I, and I don't think, I don't think it, it doesn't matter what it looks like. I, I think that that's, that's just what it, what it, what it is in my opinion. From a, yeah, from a literal perspective, absolutely. Like that's all you own and you really shouldn't like, Technology-wise, there's nothing to enforce more than that at the moment, and so you're you're kind of of the opinion that you should just accept that and like you own the token and anything on top of it is kind of gravy. Is that? Yeah, and I, I think really the the innovation here um, isn't a picture on the screen; it's a rare picture on the screen, right? The reason people want to own, say, a rare Pepe is is not that much different in a way than wanting to own bitcoin because it's scarce it's rare but it's not a currency it's like a it's a good i kind of see these things as just a different functional application of like digital scarcity i think what it looks like i think what it looks like matters in cryptocurrencies too i mean think about the like bitcoin cash bitcoin debate right like what does the what does bitcoin cash look like well, it looks a whole lot like Bitcoin. And I think that's, I mean, I know that that's on purpose. Mm-hmm. I think other projects too. I mean, they take time to to create logos and, and create- A brand. Yeah, brand, totally. exactly. Um, and that's important. And what it looks like is important. Um, and I think like look at um, Ethereum and then look at EOS. I don't think it's a big coincidence that the EOS symbol looks a lot like Ethereum. And I think when it comes to stuff like like Rare Pepe's, I mean, 
there, yeah, that, sure. There's certain Pepe's that I like because I like what they look like. But but I understand that the thing that I'm collecting is the token, and and it just I like what that token looks like, you know. So it's I mean it's it's a lot of kind of like wait wait you like what that token looks like yeah I <laughs> that's that's like so if I if I changed your Pepe from whatever Pepe to another Pepe. It's the same token, but the representation is different. Does that change how you feel about it? No, I think that adds I – th- I think what that does is that kind of adds – and I've talked about this before too. It kind of adds to the legend of the token, right? So any anybody anybody can create mm, any image yeah. for any token, right? It's, it's You can just say in my application, this is what your – this is what this token looks like, you know? And it doesn't change the token, but it just adds to this legend behind the token. It's like, hey, for the original application, it was created for the original artist, and this is what they said it looked like. And then um, now this other project uh, picked it up, and and this is what they say it looks like. Okay, I think that's actually an important distinction is the the kind of – it feels like the differentiating factor is whether or not, um, if I change this, is this the first party canonical experience of this thing, or is this some parallel universe that happens to use the same items? Because that's that's something we just talked about in the NFT hangout. Actually, is um, if you've got this game item and you're playing this game and you're having a great time, and then they change how it operates, um, and you don't want that change, that sucks. That's like, I mean, that's like Vitalik's like 2007 whatever blog post arguing about World of Warcraft. But if you have this parallel universe where they take your original item and then change it up a little bit, um, you, you're not bogged down by this previous expectation. And so that's actually cool. It's like, yeah, sweet. Remix this, make a new game. It seems like that's the difference. Like if I changed on the Rare Pepe directory, uh, the Rare Pepe wallet, if, if that app unilaterally changed how your thing looked, would that be okay? I think um, I think there's an expectation um for me to not do that to rare Pepe wallet. Right. So I think, I think people would be justly upset if I were to, especially the, the, the artists that drew those, those cards that were associated with right. those tokens. Exactly. If I just, if I just changed exactly. it, but at the end of the day, it's an application that I wrote and I maintain. So, so it's just one of the many possible visualizations it's of that. One token. of the many possibilities. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, and, and this kind of gets to the root of the issue I have with Ethereum in a way, because since everyone kind of rolls their own flavor of, of the contract, like the expectations change, even though the terminology doesn't, for example, I could have, and I, and I looked at the the ERC seven twenty one standard to see if hey is this thing calling out that you use pause functions in your contract and it doesn't it doesn't so CryptoKitties decided to include pause functionality and and upgrade functionality in their contract um, but that's not part of the standard so it really is it's like these these tokens aren't all created equal so the user. Um, can't have certain expectations of of them from project to project because each contract is different. So I, th- I think that that can create a lot of confusion on the the end of the the user. So so I was thinking about it too before we got on the call. Like like what in, in Ethereum? Like what expectations do I have? Do I know to always be true? And I think the really the only thing to always be true is that I can send. Ethereum. 
Gotcha. Because everything else is built on top of that, like, yeah, the EVM kind of arbitrariness. And and everyone writing the contracts, they can interpret them differently and write them differently. And Yeah. And the problem is, but they're calling them all this, but they're calling them all the same thing. I just want to go into like why CryptoKitties put that pause function there um, for people that might not know. And, and I don't know this for sure, but I was going back. I happened to not be at the Rare AF um, thing in January, uh, I had, I was all ready to go and I got food poisoning, so I couldn't go, but, um, oh, no. but I went and I watched, I rewatched, um, Matt Hall's CryptoPunks presentation. And just to refresh people's memories, what happened with CryptoPunks was they made CryptoPunks and they launched it. They got some press and suddenly punks were selling for like $3,000 and then they realized that there was a horrible bug in the code that was like... Yeah, it lets you buy a crypto punk but get your money back. Right, it lets you buy a punk but get your money back. And so they had to move everyone onto a new contract. It cost $600 in fees or whatever. And they had to move everyone onto a new contract. And so my assumption is that CryptoKitties looked at that and said, well, shit, that's not a very wise business move and and let's you know let's be clear like cryptopunks was not for business and crypto kitties most certainly is they decided and i'm assuming most you know ethereum projects that build this in this is the purpose right is to um, make it so if there is some huge damaging bug that they can go in and yeah. fix it yeah absolutely and joe you've had conversations with some some folks um and as I understand it, there's some Ethereum projects that have these pause functions and their plan basically is to launch with a pause function and um, go until they can squash any big bugs that pop up and then take out the pause function and lock the contract and then and then they're sort of more decentralized. Is that... Is, am I getting that right? And 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 if so, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I I understand. I mean, I don't think it's malicious. I mean, and I I hope that I got that point across a little bit in the the conversations that I've had. I I think I in my opinion, I think it's deceptive because um, the the projects only talk about the these functions if you bring it up to them. So it's not it's not they they definitely enjoy. The marketing benefit of like look decentralization yeah so i mean i and i think that's pretty clearly deceptive because they're kind of marketing these things as hey these are yours and they're uncensorable when it, they they just aren't um and and i understand i understand the reasons but i think that CryptoPunks is a really good example as the correct way to handle a bug. And I, I look at things kind of from like the Bitcoin perspective, right? Where where the users are in control. So basically what they did is they said, guys, there's an issue with this contract. We're going to create a new contract instead of we're going to change this one. And so what they basically did was they gave users a choice and, and the users could have, if they really wanted to, they could have stayed on the buggy contract. There's really no reason to, right? Because it's a buggy contract. There's no reason why they couldn't have. So I think the, the best intentions, right? If people put these pause contracts in and, and upgradable functions in um, because they, they go, hey, well, it, there might be issues. We want to be able to fix them. But really what they're saying is come use my thing, my contract that runs on this, this immutable ledger 
but I can change it. In my mind, it's it kind of removes all those advantages. And and I mean, obviously, there's other advantages too. I mean, the, the big advantage being that when, when people work on these standards, exchanges pop up. You can buy and sell these things even with pause contracts. And it's kind of like, in my mind, it's kind of like a hot potato. I'm curious about the immutability factor. So when you say, when, when there's the pause function, it's the, it's the person who has control over that contract that can that can change the tokens is that is that right yeah and at the base level that control is basically a single private key that can sign a transaction to do something um it could be more complex um sort of like you know a multi-signature contract or any sort of complex it's you know it's code you can do whatever you want with it um you could do any sort of complex um ownership concept with that uh, but yeah, most people just, you know, private key, put it on a hardware wallet and chuck it in a P.O. box or something. Uh, if if fire is happening in the building, break this glass sort of thing. But then but then you have to trust. Then at that point, oh, you have to trust Axiom Zen. And if you're trusting them, why bother? Right. And Joe, you would argue at that point, why not just be on a centralized server anyway? Yeah, I mean, you could you could accept Ethereum. And then the kitties could exist on your server. You could have an open API. Um, you could still use public-private key uh, pairs to allow people to arbitrarily move them around. And then your users wouldn't have to pay transaction fees. I mean, I have I have a lot of thoughts about sort of the spectrum of decentralization. I, I think, Joe, obviously you are at the full decentralization or bust sort of end of the spectrum. Is that is that accurate? I think when it's marketed that way... I am. Right, certainly. And like, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of interesting things when it comes to kind of layering permissions. But I, I think at the end of the day, I, I don't I don't see a lot of efficiencies there. Efficiencies in terms of like costs money, costs people money, real money um, in transaction fees to do any sort of action. Oh, yeah, totally. And if and if you're not fully decentralized, then then why bother? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know that, that there's stuff like, uh, like loom, I, th- I think, and the idea of these like proof of stake side, side chains. chains. Yeah, um, a lot of a lot of people working on that. Yeah. And I think I think that makes a lot more sense. It's a different model for sure than like full, like decentralized, permissionless, um, uncensorable stuff that you get with like a proof of work chain. I think it needs to be clear to and I think it's I mean, crypto in general is unclear to the general public, but it was unclear to me and I'm pretty deep into it. And I was I was genuinely surprised. And, and I even started looking at ERC-20 contracts and a lot of a lot of those have pause functionality in them too just to just to be clear the standards like erc20 and 721 um all they do is say that if you follow the standard you must have these functions available and they must do these certain things and it makes it easier for you to build an ecosystem around it it doesn't really care about the implementation of that and so that's like kind of where the that's what their purpose is to make you know for example that open market possible in terms of like the spectrum of decentralization, I also started uh, kind of where you are, which is like um, full decentralization or nothing really matters. And quickly, well, I say quickly, over the course of like six to seven months, realized that we're just not there yet, I think, from a developer and user experience perspective, and have slowly come to appreciate 
the value of minimum viable decentralization. Putting some assets on chain, potentially, at least philosophically, it feels 10 times better than just having them on a central server. Um, realistically, I don't know if that's the case. That's yet to be found out, uh, just like you mentioned. It's sort of like incremental benefits as you kind of move along the decentralization spectrum. Like, oh, you have a single private key managing this pause functionality. Now let's add a multi-sig or like... If we're building a side chain, we could have, you know, one block validator, but now let's make it three validators and then 20. Um, each one of those is sort of incremental improvements until you get to full decentralization, um, in which case, you know, that is philosophically very valuable and also realistically very valuable for things like censorship resistance and whatnot. And so in my mind, it, it ends up being two checkpoints of like value add. It's minimum decentralization, put some stuff on the blockchain, own it on the blockchain, get that digital scarcity concept, um, and then full decentralization. And to me, nothing in the middle really matters. Like, like you were mentioning with the side chains, I think that's a good example of minimum uh, viable decentralization because you can have a totally centralized uh, consensus scheme like a proof of authority network or something like uh, delegated proof of stake with uh, EOS, which is not totally centralized, but combine that with Plasma so that users still have some recourse for withdrawing their state, their items, their, their currency or whatever, back to the main Ethereum settlement chain. And I think that's a really good model um, because it leaves users in power uh, over the things they own, which is great. In the case of like pauses and upgradability and stuff, um, I totally agree with you, Joe, that it is very disingenuous to sell these things as decentralized because indeed like the vast majority of them um, are centralized, have centralized actors controlling them. And that's actually something I wasn't surprised about coming from, so I, I kind of started with Bitcoin and moved into Ethereum, but I wasn't really surprised when all of these contracts had like, you know, owners and uh, authorities who could do things because as a developer, it made perfect sense. I was like, oh yeah, I mean, I don't trust what I'm writing now. This is like three years into Ethereum, barely, it's like, we're definitely going to screw this up. Mm -hmm. And it made perfect sense to me. Yeah, it's that. that's interesting because the first thing I thought of as a developer was, God, I would hate to have that liability that I'm holding mm. a key that basically controls everything. Oh, I see. Yeah. I, I would hate to have the liability of having a broken contract. Yeah, but I think <laughs> I think at the at the end of the day, um, yeah, it's a, sure, it's a liability, but it's it, it was there for everyone to see right can the same sort of thing happen on count count counterparty or is that is it totally no, so um counterparties is a lot different um than ethereum right. um because counter counterparties already um a second layer kind of on right on bitcoin and the easiest way to think about counterparty is it's just predefined smart contracts um, that everyone can use. Yeah, so it's so these predefined smart contracts are hard coded in counterparty server. They're native concepts. Yeah, exactly. So so the mm. idea of issuing a token uh, using the uh, decentralized exchange is it's it's all native. It's all it's all built in functions. So you're not right. writing. So right. so as a user, you can have expectations that this thing right. is going to work this way. And as a developer, you can't change it. No, but I, I, I mean, there's a whole, um, it's called uh, a SIP process, which is like um, any of these change. I mean, you submit a proposal to upgrade the core client and basically everyone has to run it. Right. The interesting thing with... Oh, but you, can, but you can't, you can't, a developer can't change it on a project, on a per project basis. No, but yeah, so right. what a developer can do 
is kind of work within the constraints that have been presented to them. What you can do is you can be kind of creative in the UI. You can kind of create another layer on top of Counterparty um, with, mm. well, with how you interpret what's happening on the Counterparty layer. Um, so essentially the idea is you push the logic of a, of a smart contract, and I'm, I'm doing air quotes over here, but you push the logic into the client as opposed to writing it into a contract that's on chain. To give you an example, um, one of the, the projects that I'm uh, trying to find time to, to work on now is uh, I've been calling it Rare Spirits. And the idea is that you can combine Rare Pepes with, there's another project called Bitcoin. They have a, a similar type of thing with Rare Pepes where you can create like user created assets. And so, so I created one called Bitcoin Mash. And the idea is that you can combine Bitcoin Mash and Rare Pepes and create a new asset called a, like a Rare Spirit or like a, a Rare oh, Pepe. Oh, Matt, this is right up your alley. This is right up right. Matt's alley. I was, I was going to say. So to the user, that's what it looks like is happening. But in reality, it's just a creative use of um, burning tokens and issuing tokens and then interpreting what those issued tokens are and overlaying a set of conditions for whether a the, a new issued token is is a valid rare spirit. So uh, I was going to ask where that logic lives then this combination this restrictions on um, you know validating a, a real token that's all in the client. Yeah, so that would lie in the client and how it parses um, kind of the API calls the counterparty server. I do want to plug um, that we did build the exact same thing on Ethereum. Um, it's called crafty.zeppelin.solutions. Uh, um, and it does exactly what you described, combining two other tokens into some other token and burning them along the way. Since we encoded, since, well, one, we have the standards, the ERC-20 and stuff, so we know everything that conforms to that can be crafted and burned. Um, and then from there, we have this like logic in the smart contract that says, you know, that validates the recipes. It says like this five of these plus one of these equals one of these. And so it's um, that's agreed upon by the Ethereum consensus as a side effect of running that contract logic. Yeah. So now imagine that, but don't write it in a contract. Just write it into the client. It really doesn't need to be. Is the digital spirit that you own, is that another token uh, on counterparty or a colored coin on Bitcoin? It is. It, 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 it's another counterparty token. So the, the way that... Okay. And who issues that? How does that happen? The user themselves issues. How, do, how does that happen? <laughs> so, <laughs> so one interesting aspect that not a lot of people use on counterparty um, is numeric assets. Like when you look at rare Pepe's and you see there's a name, there's a unique name associated with each rare Pepe and it's a, it's a, it's up to 12 letter long name, all uppercase characters. And that's like that, that uses um, a unique namespace um, that when counterparty parses the chain, it, it builds this namespace. Oh, interesting. That's in on chain, the name. Exactly. Yeah. So that's another kind of cool thing with counterparty is, is they have these kind of short memorable names. So it's not, you don't even need to trust that you remembered or that the website's presenting you the right string of characters because you, it's human readable. So you, you can see the name and you, and you know it. So kind of outside of the application, you know what that token is right away. There's, there's a similar thing on Ethereum, but not pretty much for, unique tokens they 
I'll defer to off-chain metadata. Yeah, so this is this is a lot different than that. So they, there's a there's a way to defer to off-chain metadata in Counterparty too. There's just kind of a a standard way to basically point to like a JSON file, or or you could even you could point to an IPFS hash or or anything really. Another method for issuing tokens on Counterparty is you can create a numeric token, and a numeric token doesn't have any cost in addition to the Bitcoin transaction fee. To issue a named token on Counterparty, you have to own, you have to burn some Counterparty tokens, so XCP tokens. So there's a whole kind of roadblock there as far as like acquiring those tokens, right? That seems like an odd decision. Does the token do anything else? I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but... It's a spam prevention. It really is what it is. There's there's a couple function. there's a couple kind of functions within the hard-coded smart contracts and the server that require you burn counterparty it could i mean i've made the argument that you don't need counterparty at all right it's it's the bitcoin transaction fee is already a spam preventer that's that's my argument for a lot of ethereum tokens as well yeah i mean that yeah exactly you don't you already have ethereum what do you need these other tokens for but and so you can create a numeric token for free for the cost of the transaction Essentially, um, I have a script that will run and will pull a few API calls focused on just the data that it needs to check, basically validate whether it's met all the proper conditions. Kind of like what you're saying with your project, you've bur- you've burned this, but you've you've followed the recipe essentially. And it just uses it basically parses um, based on burn addresses the data in at, in the issuance, basically. It, it matches what address burned the correct token and then what assets has that address issued. And then basically when, when were those assets issued and what's in the description payload for that asset. Allows any one person to verify that that recipe was followed correctly? Yep, exactly. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, and so any one person can verify these recipes um, and view the state of the counterparty network. Okay, cool. Yeah, so... Um, and and basically you can do so so kind of using that model you can you can simulate a lot of the things that um, like like you could breed you could breed rare pepes you, you could you could do a lot of the same things that have been done on ethereum obviously there's you're you're still you're working within a set of constraints you don't have an open vm that you can right so that's actually something that i kind of funnily very much agree with you on now um, especially like when, when, when we're talking about like minimum viable decentralization for, for digitally owned things, the, the value of putting it on chain is one atomic swaps two philosophical ownership, uh, digital scarcity, authenticity claims and stuff like that. Actually, that, that might be about it. Um, and if you can get all of that in a very purpose built situation that, you know, forces you to conform to these different standards and doesn't give you a general purpose VM to get you to like full decentralization, that actually seems totally fine to me. Um, Cause that's basically what we're doing with Ethereum right now is, you know, if you're, if you're not going for full, you know, all logic in a contract, very dumb clients that just talk to Ethereum kind of thing. Like if you have a, an off chain indexer at all, yeah. What, what benefits of Ethereum are you actually using? Yeah. And, and I think, and that kind of goes to my point, um, where you, you decentralize the things that need to be decentralized and, and then you can, the, the other things can be totally centralized and it's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Why would I be so for decentralization when it comes to 
the tokens and then not care at all when it comes to the image, right? It's just because you don't mm-hmm. you don't need to. So so I I don't care, right? So but when it comes to the things that are important, and I think you, you spelled it out pretty good. I mean, it's it, it you basically listed off the hard coded functionality in Counterparty, right? So the the issuance of the assets transference of the assets, the um, ability to swap, like create um, orders and um, match orders, all that functionality is hard coded. So, so that in my mind, that's, that's what's important. And that, and that's what we really need to be completely decentralized. And then all the other kind of fun stuff that, that doesn't affect your, the core properties that make this a digitally scarce thing can be pushed completely into the centralized realm. Let's take another example because because this is something that I've been that I've been sort of as we've been talking about this wanting to ask. I come at everything from like my perspective of wanting to tokenize song a day, which is like the thing that I talk about all the time. And you know, one of the innovations that Dada um, brought forth on Ethereum and Super Rare is doing now is this idea of the original creator of of a piece of art. Um, that's tokenized getting secondary sales. I think that's a good good example. Yeah, some continuous royalty model. Joe, w- would that be possible on on Counterparty without going through the process of 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 getting it? You know, as a as a hard coded thing, or would that be something that they would have to go through the the process? Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be. I mean, there there is no VM, right? So so it's not something you could. What is, I'm sorry. What is VM? It's just, it's basically just the ability to put put the logic on chain for for how you want. Um, right. VM is virtual machine. And so, Matt, this is what you're saying is like you're saying that the the kind of like rap rapid innovation anyone can sort of make anything in these contracts. Right. Because we do have that VM, it makes it possible to do that like continuous royalty model. And for example, in Counterparty, correct me if I'm wrong, if you wanted to enforce continuous royalty, you would have to build that into the Bitcoin layer, uh, which has its basic Bitcoin script um, virtual machine, which, as far as I know, doesn't really let you do that super easily. And obviously, I'm not an expert in Bitcoin script, but um, it, it definitely isn't trivial. Yeah, no. You, um, yeah, if you were to wanted to do something like that in Counterparty, you you wouldn't need to affect Bitcoin scripts. You, you would basically just, that logic would be in counterparty server. You just create a new message type. How would I, how would I enforce that if you trade my colored coin on Bitcoin, you also have to send me 0.025 Bitcoin? So, so that's, that's kind of an important point. And I think that's, that is a, a weakness of counterparty is that bitcoin is not a native asset to counterparty like ethereum is a native asset well less less bitcoin more like um you know xcp token some sort of payment yeah yeah so that's different though xcp token and the assets that ride on counterparty the server itself can escrow so that's that's basically what happens with the dex the decentralized exchange that's built in the counterparty when you put up an order your your balance goes down and that asset balance is held in escrow in the dex itself so it's it's literally just held in a different database table that's generated by counterparty server and so what happens if i encode if i create a message that for example spends a rare pepe that i don't own is that just it'll be just rejected it'll be invalid because just dropped because every block that's been parsed up to that point has created a database on the back end and so if you wanted to add um uh, continuous royalty where uh, creating an order is fine and good 
Uh, but if I wanted to actually, um, you know, pay John uh, 15% for this rare Pepe that I'm trading between two other people or that someone else is trading to me, can that be enforced in the current counterparty model or would that require native code updates to all of the counterparty servers? It would, it would require a new message type. Gotcha. Yeah. So that is, and, and I, I completely agree that that is a, it's a differentiator between, a, it's a trade-off. Yeah. So, right. so the way I look at it is that with Ethereum, you're, you're trading off expected uh, operation essentially. Because everybody's writing their own contract right. and you're just hoping right. that the person that wrote the contract right. didn't fuck it up. It's trustworthy. Yeah, and didn't yeah, exactly. Didn't encode a bug on purpose in the contract or or, or something like that. Right. Um but right. when you do that, you get some benefits. You can create things like giving royalties and stuff like that. But you, right. th- there is that trade-off and in my opinion if like right. the real digital scarcity like the bit- bitcoin of digital scarcity requires that you have this kind of expected um return and and and, and operation and when you kind of use these things i mean that seems important to me that i mean because and this is the thing where we were talking in the telegram chat i mean that that's because because to me the thing that got me interested in the first place is when you know, I, I looked at a CryptoPunk and I said, wow, so, so you're telling me that this little picture is is scarce in a way that digital assets haven't been before. And what you're saying here, I think, is that by these trade-offs that you make with Ethereum, that that's not the case. Well, it could be. Right, it could be. It, but... could, it could be, it could not be. You just don't know because you have to go on a project-by-project basis versus counterparty if it's counterparty you can trust that it's that it's digitally scarce and what would happen if if it wasn't so i mean i'm not saying that counterparty has no bugs i mean sure. there's been bugs in the past but um it's a bug in the client itself and um it gets sorted out everybody updates it and then the client kind of gets you you reparse the chain and that that bug kind of gets worked out. Mm-hmm. But you're not saying so. You're not saying that that you're not saying that there's something about these Ethereum projects that are inherently not digitally scarce. You're saying it really just depends on the project and that and that's sort of your point. Yeah, and I I I'd like to see more Ethereum contracts that that don't put all these safeguards in place um, mm-hmm. because that's entirely possible. I mean they, they don't. The contracts don't have to be written with pause functions. They don't have to be written with upgradability and, and stuff like that. And I think. What do you think about the idea of the pause functions until such time as the creators. Progressive decentralization. You'll, ne- you'll never know that you found all the bugs. It, you'll never know when you got to that point. Right. Kind of in my opinion. And right. And I, th- I mean, crypto is hard. It's it's not yeah. it, it's not an easy thing and and people take chances and and think of think of before there were tokens and there were just forks of Bitcoin right there was such a time <laughs> I don't know the I world mean, before tokens yeah I mean where am I what was this so so yeah, yeah so, <laughs> but but. But use that as an example and, and look at another cor- fork of Bitcoin, like like Litecoin or or right. anything like that. I mean, they, they didn't they didn't deploy with a pause function. And sure, right. there's bugs. And what happens when you find a bug, very similar to what happened with CryptoPunks, is right. you say, "Hey guys, we found a bug. We're gonna we're gonna ish, we're gonna update the client and ship this new client." And to be fair, to be fair though, with CryptoPunks as an example. 
had that happened by the time they were by the time Matt was giving that call, had that happened, it would have been and maybe this is another knock against Ethereum, but it would have been prohibitively expensive for them to 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 redo it. Yeah, like twenty k, and like migrating CryptoKitties would just awful, terrible. For me, I, I totally get your point, Joe. And like I said, I started off exactly where you are. Yeah, it's if if it's not fully decentralized, if it's not fully censorship resistance resistant isn't actually digitally scarce now i've kind of i'm okay with these trade-offs of being able to iterate faster um, using an evm or avm rather and being able to you know iterate on your stakes using upgradability yeah i mean it's not philosophically pure um, but it feels more realistic for the short term well um, listen life life itself right is about trade-offs you have to there's trade-offs in everything you do so so and this is no different this is just like you people value different things for different reasons in different ways. Yeah, I would. And, I would like to see though. I I'd like to see kind of little more openness in in how these things are structured. I will get on board with that. I think that's something that the three of us can definitely agree on. Is you know, it's one thing to call yourself decentralized, but but your point is just be upfront. Just be upfront about it. Yeah, that, yeah. That's and, your and you know point. what? Be upfront because. Like, like as a let the user decide what they want. I mean, right. Come out and say, hey, hey, we created this contract. We have the the ability to upgrade it. We have the ability to pause it um, if there's an issue. And you know what? I'm sure there's a bunch of people that that might want that. Um, I think there are. I mean, I I honestly think that if Ethereum projects were totally upfront about um, this and why they're doing it, and maybe even give give a plan for how you know maybe eventually they would would want to lock down. Um, the contract, and they were just upfront about it. I think that would would that would that sort of satisfy your uh, your ire, Joe? Ultimately, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would still I'd still have kind of fundamental issues problems with Ethereum, with, with Ethereum. But um. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a good point. Is with counterparty the the consensus base is Bitcoin, which is you know historically kind of rock solid. Um, and if you're going for philosophical, you know digital scarcity the bitcoin equivalent for you know all assets it it does need to have those those same sort of properties the the fact that ethereum and ethereum classic have forked uh kind of i mean ethereum's development style is just different it's very different um and so by building on top of it you kind of implicitly agree with that yeah if, if you're a philosophical purist um then definitely uh ethereum classic is more in line with that i want to just switch switch gears completely a little bit and just start wrapping up by Bring up a tweet that you did. Uh, it was a tweet series that you did, Matt. Um, okay. In the throes of the Nifty conference where you were in Hong Kong. Oh boy. Um, I forgot what this one is. <laughs> from our last episode, we were talking about what gives to what gives these things value, right? Oh right. And, and yes. This is something too, Joe. That that I think you you have understood inherently in the in Rare Pepe and now in with Bitcoin and these projects. Like what gives these things value? And that's and actually something I wanted to bring up earlier. You just you boil it down so nicely, I thought, in just saying that like ultimately it's the story. It's like the story behind the thing. Um, and if there's no story, the thing has no value. Like it has to have a narrative. It has to have some story that 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 brings uh, meaning. It's like you can't just tokenize. You can't just say like I'm tokenizing uh, the state of Vermont or whatever, and, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm putting it up on the blockchain, and I'm going to sell all 50 states. Like, 
it needs to have more than that. I mean, so many projects sort of did that in the wake of, of CryptoKitties. Right. The crypto blanks were a troubled time. Um, <laughs> it was so Yeah, ugly. no, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think it's so important, especially like when you have no inherent utility. Right. Um, in the case of Bitcoin, like it's very much, you know, there's a story behind it, but there's also, you know, some concept of basic value is someone else will accept it for some, you know, concept of goods or services. Um, but with, you know, your game items or your arbitrary NFTs, your arbitrary assets, um, there's no guarantee that there's utility value. Now, there might be. There might be a game you can play in the case of, like, some of these. Um, but if it, especially if it doesn't have utility, and, and even when it does, yeah, you, you need a story. You need a reason. You need what I, I like to call it authenticity. Authenticity, um, yeah. Behind this thing. It has to have... And context. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, I think about Joe, Joe, I think about um, with Pepe and, and maybe you could talk a little bit about how that how this part developed. Um, but I think about with Pepe, the scientists, this idea that there's these like rare Pepe scientists who like observe every card and like make sure that it's rare. Like that story is so stupid and like silly, but like it's also really powerful. And I think I think it it's that kind of thing. And, and um, I see the same kind of thing happening with Bitcoin where there's these stories that happen and they're just, they're just great. Yeah. And that's something I think about rare Pepe that works really well as well is it's surprisingly perfect. It's a surprisingly perfect use case for digital scarcity. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I mean, I think that's what, that's what really drew me to it. Um, in the very beginning. Um, cause I, I mean, I loved the idea of rare Pepe is like, I think even pre Bitcoin. I mean, I, I kind of remember Pepe. I think sure. that was like, um, like 2007, 2008 when that meme first appeared. Um, right. And such simpler times. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I, 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 yeah, I, I completely Do you ever go back and look at the oh memes we used God. to laugh at? Like, Oh my goodness. I saw, I saw, I saw a gif, uh, the other day that had a, uh, an e-bombs world uh, <laughs> watermark on it. So that was... A, Lordy, those were the days. That was nice nostalgia yeah. to see that. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, I think you're absolutely right as far as like it being kind of like the perfect meme to make rare. Um, and, and I think that's that's probably what helped it catch on. Right. I mean, people remember the joke with with Pepe and then they're like, oh wait, this like this is actually rare. And, right, and right. to kind of touch on the, the idea of the story behind it, I think that's that's spot on. I mean, I, I kind of touched on that. I I wrote a medium post not shortly after um the event in January. Um and I, I called it the legend. Exactly. But it's the same exactly. thing. I mean it's 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 the same exact thing. It's it's the idea these things have value because there's there's this legend, there's a story behind right. it. But that, I mean, that has analogs to like like real thing. Like if you've ever watched Antiques Roadshow, sure. like like they always say like if you had some kind of letter or correspondence that said who gave you this <laughs> right. thing and like yeah. or it was handed down to your great great grandmother and you have this like letter with yeah. it from like. Uh, like this famous person right. and, and that makes it more valuable. Absolutely. It's the same thing. And that's just in the physical world. Like antiques are rare items, right? right? So this is just rare digital items, but it borrows the same idea. I mean, the, I, I think the, the more people understand that the better, because it's kind of a hard concept to like kind of wrap your brain around when you're not in the space. Yeah. We, we've talked about that a, a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that the stories are the thing that draws draws people in. It's it's the thing yeah, that, and, the, and the stories, and then you add, oh yeah, and there's only a hundred right. of these, or there's only like two hundred right. of these, and um, it's not, and and that's why I always I really like harp on the idea that it's not it's not the image. It's you're not buying mm-hmm. the image. You're you're buying the token. The image is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Like because the image could be you know arbitrarily reproduced. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I th- I think that's really important. And- can I can I can I ask you, Joe, one one last thing? And this thing about the art is just what the token looks like, and you could change the art, and the t- and it would still be the token. To bring it back to my song a day thing, what how would that apply to something other than a a, a visual piece? You know, some song and song mm-hmm. a day number mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. that I did in L.A. Because right. like personally, I think the song is very important to that. Like, right. What? I I want that song, that one from that day. I don't want one that you made a day later. But you want the song that Jonathan issued. Right. Right? So, like, you don't want the song. Well, certainly. I wouldn't buy it from anyone else. Exactly. But the song is just arbitrary data, right? Well, no. It's it's special data. I like that one. Well, yeah. I mean, it is. I, I And I agree with you there. But kind of my point that I'm trying to make is, like anybody could write a hash of the song into a token and then try to sell it. Oh, certainly. But your authenticity requires, yeah. But why isn't that the right one? Because Jonathan didn't issue it. So then at that right. point, what's the difference with Jonathan just saying, this is song one, this is token one? I don't understand. That's what I want him to do. No, what I'm saying is like, why does he need to then write a hash in that represents the song? And I because think, I care that it doesn't change. Yeah, it adds more information, but it it doesn't change the fact that he issued that one to begin with. Oh, certainly. No, but there, there's I think there's benefit to that, much in the same way that like if you're issuing a bunch of assets on chain um, with no cap on the number of them, and you just say there's there's going to be five million of them, and that's as many as there will be. I can still trust you, and you know you cannot issue more than five million, and sweet, everything worked out. But the ability to have a single line of code that says, don't allow more than 5 million from anyone in the world is valuable to me as a user because I have that guarantee. And like while I did have that guarantee before as a side effect of my tiny bit of trust in the issuer, now I have it as a side effect of 20,000 different computers agreeing on that. But do you? I think there's a fundamental flaw there because Jonathan could issue another token and put the same hash in it. But that doesn't make well. We could write code that doesn't allow that. He could create a new contract. It's 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 a it's a incremental it, improvement, and yeah, I, I, I think I, it still falls under like minimum viable decentralization. At at this point, CryptoPunks couldn't do that though. Is that correct? Or CryptoPunks still could? I mean, you can do anything you want. Well, no, they have a they've got a hard cap of ten thousand in the code. But they could write a new contract. They could write a new contract and put all ten thousand onto a new contract. Oh, totally. Right, and that goes back to the same consensus approach, right? Of like everyone have to agree that this is the new canonical contract, right? Um, and that this is the source of truth. And so, like for me, like the guarantee that my song hasn't changed uh, by committing that hash is worth the effort. Like the committing of the hash is what 40, 40 bytes, thirty-two bytes. It's it's relatively small, and it gives me the guarantee that it hasn't changed. Right. Yeah, and I, I mean, I. I understand, and I don't. I don't think that it's a negative. Um, I just don't think it's as big of a positive as a lot of people might make it out to be. No, certainly. I mean, if we're if we're going for full decentralization, I want like the bits of my song on right. chain 
um, verified by a proof right. of work network that costs millions of dollars to right. attack. Uh, but we're not we're not, we're not there yet. Yeah, but I don't think I I think even then it doesn't matter because it's just it's it's con, it's like consumable data. It's it's not it's not a, it's not scarce. It's not rare. The data itself. Yeah. Right. Well, that's fine. There's a big difference between decentralizing something that's consumable and copyable or decentralizing something and making it so it's not copyable. So, and I think that's where a lot of people that aren't in the crypto space kind of lose comprehension with a lot of this stuff um, because they, you say like the image is rare and it's, well, no, well, I can. Right. Well, that's, that's a messaging thing. I agree that it's not accurate, but I don't know that we'll be able to explain to them that they actually own these tokens on a blockchain. And I think it's uh, certainly a trade-off there. I mean, it, it seems like um, you have a very strict divide between the token and the thing that is represented by the token. And it seems like it doesn't really matter if they're connected. Um, to me, they feel connected and not from a technical standpoint, but from a like user's perspective, right. those are very much connected. And it feels like you know, the, the minimum effort it requires to connect those on a technical level is worth it to guarantee my user expectation. Yeah, like writing, writing the hash. Yeah, I think writing the hash is worth it. But I think it's also okay if you don't. I think in the case of, like, for example, with Pepe's, where any one of the 100 different Pepe's is the same, um, it's probably fine to just, you know, say that this set of tokens is equal to this image and call it a day, um, especially if you're doing, like, federated views of state like counterparty but if you care about the link between them um like in the case of song a day where it's this one day specific song i think that's valuable in the case of a crypto kitty it's this dna hash that's you know actually valuable trading card game like it's the card id or the name or its stats or something that um well the stats obviously different sort but yeah i think that sort of stuff is you know, that's, that goes back to minimum viable decentralization. Like, what is the stuff that should be on-chain? And I think, you know, tying that off-chain information, whatever it is, if it is something that I expect to be immutable, if, if I expect it to be immutable, tying that on-chain, I think, is worth it. But in the case of, like, CryptoKitties, obviously, it's like they could change the design at any time and whoops. <laughs> Oops. Um, let's, uh, let's wrap up. I want to just wrap up by if, if, um, you guys have anything that you want to plug, Joe, is there anything that you want to plug? I guess you've already plugged your, your spirits project. Is there anything else? I would want to plug just kind of counterparty in general. Yeah. And, and not just counterparty. I mean, there's, there's other systems for creating tokens also, I think. And I, and I've looked at a lot of them. I mean, I've, when, when fees were going up Mm -hmm. in Bitcoin, um, I, I definitely I looked around. I mean, I wasn't I, I like Counterparty because I think it's the best platform, not because I've stuck my head in the sand and not looked at anything else. I mean, I've I've looked at I've looked at Ethereum. I've looked at BitShares. I've looked at NXT. Mm-hmm. I've looked at Waves. I've like pr- basically any chain where you can create an asset. And that's just kind of where I where I settled on. I think all the trade offs are kind of in line with how I kind of think it should operate. So I would just give the recommendation to anybody listening, like see what's out there. Like don't just kind of decide on something because that was the first one you heard about. Um, Especially if you're a developer. Except Bitcoin. Definitely, definitely buy Bitcoin. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a different thing. I'm kind of just talking about assets in general, but 
Right, right, right. <laughs> like technology stacks for sure. And there's definitely, you know, competition with Bitcoin on technology stacks as well. It's not the be all end all of I'm of the opinion that if Bitcoin doesn't exist, nothing else exists. It's uh it's kind of the backbone to to make it makes everything work. It because of the the idea that that works gives people the the ability to say it's okay that these other things work. Um uh, I'm gonna plug the NFT hangout. Um it's a little telegram channel. It just tweet at me or something with your telegram oh, yeah. handle and and we'll add you uh but we do a hangout every two weeks or so and chat about what happens in digital assets land it's uh, as a side effect of the people i know it's a lot of ethereum people but it is arbitrary it is all um non-fungible things and so yeah we, we just kind of chat about that uh talk about new ideas about what happened over the last week and stuff like that it's a, it's a good time it's very chill it's very hangout-ish uh, even though we use Zoom and not Google Hangouts, but uh, it's all the same. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just shill my Song A Day project again. Um, it's going pretty good. I, I, you can go to Initial Song Offering, or I have it now at jonathanman.net slash ISO. You know, people are reserving songs. I'm gonna. I'm working on getting just the first year up and running as sort of a test. And so you can come and for, you know, give me some Bitcoin or some ETH and you can reserve a song now before it goes live. Um, and that helps me actually build it. I'm literally doing an ICO uh, <laughs> <laughs> through it. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm just me. I'm trying to make it happen. Um, but you're doing it right. But I'm doing it right. And I definitely want to reserve that mall song from a week or so ago. I really liked that one. Joe's Twitter handle, you're, uh, was that a wolf? Is that right? Is there a story behind that? It's it's like a very like inside, inside joke. You had to be there. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, a, it was an inside joke from high school, actually. And uh, that's just, it's been a handle that I've used kind of throughout my internet life. So became my Twitter handle. Matt's Twitter handle is Matt G Condon. Very unimagin- unimaginative. Un- <laughs> um, we could change that. I don't know. If anyone wants to find the username Shrugs, I would appreciate it. But Ooh, someone on the go. internet has it. And uh, you can find me at Songaday Man. And if you're enjoying what we're doing, please um, subscribe and rate us on iTunes because it helps other people to find this podcast yep. for their... Um, smash that pleasure. like button smash it just smash it um anyway joe thanks so much for for coming on and chatting with us here on our on our second episode it was really nice yeah it was great thanks for having me i'll do the end out did did rare did rare <laughs> i'm going for the very explicit did based on the typo yeah. <laughs> which i'm sure you're very happy about oh it's perfect yeah <laughs>